0: you are listening to the Equip Podcast. This weekly course seeks to equip our church, and we pray it can help you as well. Check out more resources at rockycreek.church. As we're going through building a stronger marriage for these summer months, uh, we are in what's session six, which I'm calling commandments and compromises. We have gone through uh, all these different sessions, looking at some different content throughout it uh and i want to just go so once again we've been walking through genesis chapter one through three looking at that first marriage and seeing how it applies into our own marriage as well so you can go ahead and turn to genesis chapter three you got your hand out there we'll be going through this a little uh, page one and we'll flip over there at the back once again if you may need some there there's something on there the table at the back as we're thinking through this passage of scripture and what god is going to teach us that god gave this first couple one commandment and they quickly made compromises in order to break it what was the one commandment that God gave them? You know? Don't eat of the tree. She's like, that sounds pretty easy, right? Well, they didn't have McDonald's yet, okay? They didn't have Chick-fil-A. So they, uh, but we got, they, they had one commandment, and, uh, but they quickly made compromises in order to break it. And in all marriages, we are called to help each other fulfill God's word over-meet our expectations. So what we're called to do is to follow God's commandments, to obey them, and what should take place is there should be a strength as we work together rather than isolated. That focal verse, we'll look at a little bit more in detail in a moment, but it's from Genesis chapter 3, verse 6. As mentioned uh, in our services today, so when the woman, what was the first thing? She saw, she saw that the tree was good for food and that it was a, what? It was a delight to the eyes and the tree was desired to make one wise. She took of its fruit and she ate. And she also gave some to her husband who was with her and he ate. Which is funny because if you read the entire passage, you realize this, that Genesis chapter 3, verse 1 through 5, you do not even think that Adam is at the house when the walking, talking serpent is talking to Eve. Because he's just sitting there watching Sports Center. He is scratching his navel. He is doing something other than the fact of saying, hey, walking, talking snake, you don't need to talk to my wife, okay? He's not doing anything. And she's had this conversation with Eve over and over and over. And then all of a sudden it says that she sees something that she likes and she desires it. And then she takes it. She eats and then she gives some to her husband, and as a man, he's like, I'm never going to turn down food from a woman, right? Okay, especially. Uh, and so he, he takes this food, uh, and then all of a sudden we obviously knows what takes place. But when we think about commandments and compromises, this is where we do have to come down and make sure that we, we grab this and think through it because first kind of subheading there for us is the God who is for you. And whenever we think of commandments, we do have to realize that even when God gives commandments, they're actually good for us. And um, 1 John chapter 5, verse 3 is an interesting verse because he says this is the love of God that we keep his commandments and his commandments are not burdensome. I don't know why, I just love that phrase because I think about there's a good indication of my health, of the way I see God if I don't think that his commandments are burdensome. I actually think they're life-giving, right? And, um, and so sometimes when there are certain situations that have happened in our house um, when a child has disobeyed And they are now suffering the consequences of whatever that may be. And I will look at them and say, is this what you hoped for? Is this what you wanted when you did all that? No. Well, this is how it works, right? Because when I give commandments, once again, it is something that uh, we are actually for your good. Like the child who wants to stick that fork in the electrical socket and you pop that hand and you go, would you actually bring pain upon that child's life? Yeah, I would in that moment. Why? Because I'm sparing them for deeper pain. Would you? Some of you parents are as old school as me that you may have even spanked a child that ran into the road. Why would you do that? Out of love. Why do you make such confining rules on a child? Let them play where they want to. It's because you want them to play longer. That's why. And so with this, when God gives commands, they're actually good things for us. God gave Adam and Eve his word because, guess what? He cared for them. He gave them rules to live by because he cared for them. So when he says, don't commit adultery, you know what's crazy? He actually has our best interests in mind. I can even prove this to you, okay? When you look, if you've ever started your Bible reading plan and you struggled through those first five books, right, okay? There's some really challenging stuff in there. You get to that place where you're reading through some of those books and there's all of these list of rules, right? Don't eat of this and don't do that. Don't take this kind of cloth. And some of you are like, I don't even know if I have that in my closet or not, right? Okay, and there's all that stuff not to eat. Do you realize that sometimes the rules that God gave the Israelites, you know why they were a commandment? Given them one reason and one reason only. The commandment was this, so that they didn't get a tummy ache and get sick along the way. There were certain things that the people were eating around there, and they're like, I don't know why everybody's having to run to the bathroom. God's going, because you don't have a refrigerator yet, okay? So you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to make a commandment. Don't eat that type of food. God, why would you do that? Okay, go ahead, eat it, right? Just continue to eat and see what happens. Uh, I can remember one of our children one day uh, was thirsty in the back of the van, and then all of a sudden I remember saying, what are you drinking? Milk? I didn't give you milk. Where would you find it? I don't know. It's was just down here. I thought, okay, we know what's going to happen now, right? Okay, you can put a clock on it, and it, we know what's going to take place. And, and, and it did, and it was very wonderful and colorful and explosive. And, and so when it did, right, like why, why, why would this happen? Why do you make rules for a kid to say, you know what, don't don't drink milk that's been in the heat you know, in the back of the van for a couple of days? It's not lies because you care for them. And sometimes we don't understand the commandments that God gives us because we do have to understand He's been around a little bit longer than we have. He's a little bit wiser than what we are. And so when He gives commandments, they're actually good for us. The greatest gift He He could give them was a consistent reminder that they were not in charge. And and so when it comes down to commandments, this is one of the things that I've always. Um, wrestled with people on, because people will say a lot of times, why in the world would God make a tree if he does not want him to eat from it? You ever thought that? I have a lot. If He don't want him to eat from it, why'd he make it in the first place, okay? So he comes along and says, here's this tree, and I don't want you to eat it, and all of us go, well then why make it? Why put it in the first place? Keep it on the other side of the garden, why even invent it? Why would God even allow the propensity for that? To to, to really answer that question, you really need to think deep here, and I, I think this will be helpful for you. The existence of a tree that they were not supposed to eat at the centerpiece of where they were was a glowing, visible, daily reminder, you're not in charge. You're not the smartest person here, and what you think doesn't always have to go. And you go, is that a good thing? Yes. It's a very good thing to be reminded." Because you remember what the tree was? A lot of people say, what, uh, what, what do most people think the fruit was, by the way? What kind of fruit was on that tree most people think? It was, a, it was an apple, right? Because all the artwork always says apple. Uh, the Bible doesn't say it was an apple, right? It could have been anything. It might be nothing that we know of. But deep down, it wasn't necessarily what type of fruit it was that you need to avoid when you go to the supermarket. It was that this was the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And anybody who took from it was saying to God, you say that's evil, and I don't think it is. You tell me not to do it. I'm going to do whatever I want to do. That's sin, folks. Every time we do that in any kind of capacity, that's always sin. God says, don't do it. How dare you tell me what to do? I'll do whatever I want to do. Well, the propensity of that, that taking of that tree knowledge of good and evil, was you determining that you think you know better than God. So the God who is for you, the first thing he does is he's offering the word to us. He's offering the word to us. When God gives us the word, it is because he wants us to experience his best in our lives. Once again, we've talked a lot of different ways, but you think of Proverbs chapter 22, uh, verse 7, the, the borrower is slave to the lender. Why does God not want us to borrow all kinds of money and go in debt? Because he doesn't want us to have nice stuff? No, actually, he wants you to have nice stuff and have peace. And not have people coming in and trying to take away everything that you got. He actually has these rules because he cares for us. Why does he say that we need to bear with one another and forgive one another? You know why? Because frustration continues to escalate, till all of a sudden we get to a place where somebody gets hurt, right? So, so there are these things he does because, once again, he wants us to experience uh, his best in our lives. If we go back to Genesis chapter two, I've written it down there for you, but this is so this is before the sin happens. Look what this happens. The Lord God commanded the man. He just made Adam, saying. You may surely eat of every tree of the garden, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, you shall not eat. From the day that you eat of it, you shall surely die. Now, I want you to look at that, those verses for a second. And I want you to notice that there is a phrase that we ignore all the time. When we talk about Adam, Eve, God of the garden. Always ignore it. You know what it is? You may surely eat of every tree of the garden. We ignore that. You automatically go to, and I automatically go to, what's God trying to keep from us? He doesn't want us to have anything. He goes, no, 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 Eat of everything here except that one. And we miss that, folks. And, and this is why it's so important. In a world full of religious people who always talk about the thou shalt nots, there's a lot of thou shalls" that God says. There's wonderful things that God gives us. In fact, uh, James 1.18 says, every good thing given and every perfect gift is from above. That means that there's good stuff that God gives. There's wonderful stuff. Um, yesterday morning, before the humidity came upon us like a just block wave, there was a like brief moment around six something and when you walked outside, there was a little breeze, you're like, this is a good gift, right? And then just the humid apocalypse came upon us and it was just like, you know, it's like you can't breathe, right? But there are these moments, anybody, let me tell you something. There are things that God says, enjoy. Hey, enjoy a good meal. Enjoy the blessings of working really hard at a job and going and spending something for your family. Enjoy the beach. Enjoy your spouse. I can do that. I thought that was evil. No no God, no, no, God says, I actually gave your spouse for you. I made your body to enjoy those types of things. It's a gift for you. Enjoy, enjoy. Eat, 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 eat. Just not here. And, and we typically see God as this cosmic killjoy He doesn't want us to enjoy anything. That's not the point. God is saying... Enjoy all of these wonderful things in life. If you think through, uh, um, I, I don't know about you, but the, the last, you, you, you think about the meal that you just had there, like that's just absolutely just, it's just wonderful, right? You just, you had this meal, you go know, like it, it was more than just like, just getting done. Like that was a meal that kind of slowed you down a little bit. Like that was good. That wasn't, some of you are like, I, I cooked it, Trav. Okay, and that was it. That's awesome. <coughs> I'll tell you a good, good gift. Um, last week, Um, sitting in the parking lot on the 4th of July when it was 80 degrees with the church family and watching fireworks, that was just a good gift. You know? It was just wonderful. And you go, what was the spiritual reason for it? Just to thank God for the things that he's given us. You know, just in that moment. And just, and I'll be honest, everybody's like, should we do that again? I'm like, well, I don't know the last time on the 4th of July we could even be on a concrete and not be sweating to death. But I was like, I wouldn't even sweat. It was just a wonderful, great gift, right? And God is saying, enjoy these things. And, and so much of what God does is he actually wants us to enjoy things. And Satan likes to come in and say, are you sure he wants to enjoy that? You sure? No, no, no. He wants to take stuff away. In reality, <coughs> we should see that when God says, enjoy all these things, there's one thing I don't want you to. See, a couple should have a confident grasp regarding the expectations of God on their marriage. This microphone should go out. Hold on a second. I'm going to switch out. So a couple needs to be able to look and have a confident grasp regarding the expectations of God on their marriage. God offers us the word and allows us to walk in the truth of it. So I want to encourage every single person here that you need to know the word of God. And you may go, it's a really big book. Start slow. okay? Because there are some places in, in the Bible where sometimes I'll be reading and go, I didn't even know that was there. But once you're aware of it, now you have the opportunity. So God offers this for you i give you a great example. Um, I was told at a very young age that someone can hurt you. I heard heard this from a pastor. You can be hurt so many times that you don't have to forgive them anymore. They hurt you so many times, and you can start treating that person like your enemy. Uh, Bible scholars out there, is that in the Bible? No, No, in fact, Jesus said Seven seven times 70, right? You just keep on. They keep hurting you, and you keep forgiving So you know what the crazy thing was? is I grew up in life really having a lot of anger and frustration and hatred towards people, then all of a sudden you see God's word that says, you need to forgive. And I thought, this is a problem. So you know what I did? I remember the day where I called someone that I had about a 20-year-old, well, 15-year grudge with, a family member that was just so much hurt and pain in my life. I remember what it was like when I said, okay, fine, I'm going to forgive them. And this is my mentality. Fine, God, I'll do it for you. I don't want to do it, I don't think they deserve it, but if you tell me to do, fine, I'll do it. For the glory of God, hope you're happy, right? Second thought, this will really help this person out, right? They're probably thinking of life, my life's so hard, maybe this will help. Fine, God, if that's what you want to do. I never saw the third one coming. How much God wanted for me to do that. Because when I forgave and hung up that phone, you know what happened? I stood up and then I fell to the ground weeping. You know why? Because the anger just wasn't there anymore. The burden wasn't there anymore. I thought it was for God's sake. I thought it was for the person's sake. And apparently, guess it's also for mine. So these commandments, we know what God says. It's important for us to know. So we should have this expectation of knowing what it is to be in marriage. So he offers the word, and then we get the opportunity to obey the word. And the point of receiving biblical information is to accomplish biblical application. It's not just enough to say, you know the Bible. So you actually do this in the Bible, you want to be able to say, let me know what God's word is. Give you a great example of what it means to accomplish biblical application. First Peter chapter three, verse seven says, likewise, husband, live with your wives in an understanding way. Now the bingo, I can't understand this. Okay. Uh, it doesn't say this. Let me tell you what it doesn't say. It doesn't say understand all women or live with all women in an understanding way. It says one. Okay. Okay. So anybody going, I can't understand? You don't have to. you got to understand one. And it says, likewise, husbands, live with your wife in an understanding way, not being harsh with her, being gentle with her, showing honor to her, acknowledging this, that sometimes, ladies, there will be certain things that you're weaker in, that guys will be strong in. Don't worry, there's plenty of stuff we're weak in and you're stronger in. It says, hey, in those weak areas, don't go, what's wrong with you? Get it together. No, no, no. Treat them gently. And then you know what it says? And your prayers won't be hindered. What do my prayers that have to do with the way I treat my spouse? Well, let me ask you a question. How do you think I'm going to view you if you mistreat my daughter? Right? If I find anybody mistreating my daughter, I'm probably going to jail. I know that about me. If anybody mistreats my daughter, it's not going to handle good. Here's God saying, I have a job to care for his daughter, Amanda, in our marriage. And if I treat her harshly and not sympathetically and not listen to her and not care for her, God says, and you're going to come to me with your prayers? Your request? No, no, no. You get back to business and you take care of my daughter right there. You look so so here it is. Now it's one thing for me to say, Oh, I memorized first Peter chapter three verse seven and God goes, I don't care if you wrote a song about it. Are you actually doing it, right? You put a bracelet on, you can get a t-shirt. At the end of the day, I want you to apply this word. This is where it comes down to. So the gift of marriage is experience and accountability to keep God's ways. What should have taken place in the Garden of Eden? Let me tell you how this should have taken place. I think that God made a suitable helper in Adam's and Eve's life. They had somebody so that no matter how hard it got, they had somebody else there with them. So if Eve came up and said, hey honey, this walking, talking snake says we should have this piece of fruit, what do you think? Adam should have said, darling, since the moment that snake uh, God told us not to eat from that tree, that's all I've wanted to do. But he's been good to us. We have no reason to distrust him. I'm going to kick him out and throw this fruit out. And today I'm strong and you're uh, being a little weak. But guess what? Tomorrow I might be weak and I need you to be strong. We're not doing this. That's what should have happened. It's not what took place. And I'm saying in every marriage, there are weaknesses. And what should happen is there's this built-in accountability system to say, hey, we don't do that. We don't disobey our God. There have been many times where my wife doesn't need to say a thing. She just needs to give me a look. Right? And I go... Got it, right? Speaks a thousand words. I I, I just know and what it is. It's this built-in accountability system. We know what we're doing with our finances. We know how we're raising our kids. We know the kind of things we're pursuing. She knows stuff about me none of you know about, right? Here's this opportunity for us to pursue God together. So there's this God who is for us. But with that, we also have to realize there is an enemy who is against you. And his goal, his tactic Has not changed since the beginning of time with Adam and Eve. Because he wants us to learn how to doubt the word. Look at what he says in Genesis chapter 3 verse 1. Comes on the garden of Eden. He said to the woman. Did God actually say. You should not eat of any tree in the garden. Now I want you to think about it once again. Okay. Turn back over on that page for a second. Turn over on the flip side. And I want you to look. Genesis chapter 2 verses 16 and 17. You see that in italics about halfway down? Let me read it to you. Listen really hard what God told Adam. You may surely eat of how many trees in the garden? Every tree in the garden, but of the tree of knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat. Turn the page over. Back to that verse. Did God actually say you shall not eat of any tree in the garden? What does he do there? He changed God's word. Same thing he does today, by the way. Same thing. He says, did God actually say? He causes them to doubt. I mean, are you confident? And did he tell you not to eat from any of the tree garden? Wow, it must be rough following that God. He do not want you to enjoy anything. So what happened is, Satan's goal is to incite suspicion within you regarding God's instructions. He wants you to doubt that God has your best interest in mind. So he's going to come out and say, first off, there's this doubting, and don't miss this, did God actually say? In our context, folks, guess what? Satan's using the same line today in 2021. Are you sure God's word says this? Are you sure God's word says that about... Uh, following him and what sexuality is supposed to be like and all these things. Are you sure God's word says that? Oh, that's an outdated book. That was for that culture back then. Surely he can't mean that now, right? Are you sure? Are you sure God's word says that? And then what does he do? Oh, he exaggerates. You mean he doesn't want you to eat from any tree out there? Whoo! Huh. Must be rough to be you. What do you think he's keeping from you, huh? What do you think he's keeping from you? So Satan's goal, he incites suspicion. Insights, suspicion causes them to doubt God. And it takes place. So, so they start doubting the word, leading them to disobey the word. If you look at verse 6, what does it say? Once again, so when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, that was a delight to the eyes, and that the tree was to be desired to make one wise. She took of its fruit, she ate, she also gave some to her husband who was with her, and he ate. So here's that, that picture again. What you view becomes what you desire, which becomes what you take. What you continually stare at, obsess over, becomes what you desire and eventually what you take. That's why many parents know that at least in my generation, okay, I was born in 1981, one of the most dangerous times for a parent was Saturday morning cartoons, right? Because what happened in between all those cartoons, folks? All these commercials of all this stuff you and I had to have, right? And it wasn't like, Mom, I want one of these things, it was what? I need it. I've got to have it. Why? Because they're telling you all the time, you don't like it. Um, did any of y'all have that grandparent that gave you the Sears catalog and says, pick something? You remember, okay? She got through a page, right? Just pick something out of Sears catalog. And you just go, I don't have that. And I don't have that. And I, and you circled the whole thing. She's like, I said circle two things. Well, there's a lot of stuff in here I need. I want to give you options here, okay? If you need to throw in some other stuff, you view it so much and it becomes what? It becomes an obsession, right? Be a person. could be a thing, uh, something you don't have. So what you view comes, what you desire, which eventually becomes what you take. Sin always involves us thinking we know better than God. God says, "Don't," and we go, "I think I can, though." God says, "Not that way," but I think I can. Yes, sir. Yep. Yep. God spoke to the man. hmm spoke to the Yep. Yep a great question yeah so here's the options on that we're going to talk about that in a later week but i'm glad you brought it up because it's worth it so here's the deal god gives adam the instructions before eve was ever created we don't have record that god gave eve the rule now could god have given eve the rule sure and they just not wrote it down but here's the thing either God gave Eve the rule and we don't know about it or God expected Adam to tell his wife and he didn't. Somebody's exaggerating here. Somebody hasn't done their job. As we're going to see in a second, either Eve said, we can't even, we can't even touch it or either Adam has said, we can't even touch the thing. You know, it's just like, whatever, somebody's exaggerating in here but what should have taken place is at some miscommunication, here is God saying, Adam, you do this and lead your family and Satan goes, hey Eve, Hey, I mean, you may not have talked to him, or maybe you heard this from your husband, but somebody's keeping something from you, girl, and you need to be illuminated. So yeah, absolutely. He goes completely around, and it's interesting, once again, Adam's not saying anything, this passiveness, but it really comes down to, he he knows exactly where to go. And I'll say this, ladies, before we, before I have like a picket out there, outside of our office or something, okay, this in 2021. I don't think that Satan came to Eve because she was somehow more capable of sin than Adam was. I think because what Satan is all about is breaking the family unit down. And God had said, "Adam, I want you to lead," and he goes, "I can fix this." And so that's where he's kind of drawing a wedge there and bringing them all. So great, great point. We will talk a little bit more about that in the next couple weeks too. But with it, sin—it's always thinking whether you're Adam or Eve, right? I know better than God. I know exactly what we should do here, far better than what God does. So the enemy who is against you, what should take place once again is that you should have a spouse who is beside you as you're going through this. We're thinking about commandments, we're thinking about compromises, and this is what happens. As you mentioned, um, Satan goes to Eve, and now Eve is going to reframe the word, or she has heard Adam reframe the word. Because once again, Satan goes, are you sure God said you can't eat from any tree? Well, she clarifies. The woman said to the serpent, We may eat of the fruit of the trees of the garden, but God said, You shall not eat of the fruit of the tree that is in the midst of the garden, neither shall you what? Did God say that? No. She's exaggerating now. You see that? So Satan is going, So you can't eat from in the tree? No, no, no. It's just one tree. But we can't even, can't even touch the stupid thing. What's How ridiculous is that? Who can't touch a tree? Is God pushing us so much in a box we can't even touch the thing now? Now, folks, this may seem ridiculous, but let's be honest. How many times do we exaggerate what God has said when all of a sudden you get in a bad spot? God must be out to give me or something, man. You know what I mean? Everything against me, everything, everything's bad in my life, and you just start exaggerating and get bigger, 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 and just going, I just want to say, hush up, okay? It just just stop for a second, and let's get down to what we know for sure, right? What do we know for sure? So she says, may either fruit of the trees in the garden? And then she says, but God said. So either she heard it, or she is transferring what God said to Adam. Some transfer has happened here, and she corrects him somewhat. <laughs> then she exaggerates. Then she exaggerates. The more we question the validity of God's word, the further we will exaggerate the reality of its claims. Sure God said that? I'm struggling with the validity of it. And then all of a sudden we start exaggerating what God has actually said and what he has not said. And this is what is so unique about this situation. So I believe that deep down, when we get to a place where we want sin, folks, we start exaggerating our needs or we start puffing up what we think God really wants, and we get this down to some type of ridiculous level where have you ever dealt with somebody who knows better, but they're just now downright unreasonable? It's not even making sense anymore. It's like, you're not even talking straight. Um, I talked with someone um, once that was, you know, if we think about the sermon from today on adultery, this was someone who... um, uh, I, I give you just some of the situation. Someone said, hey, Trav, you just pray for us. We're just kind of not, I don't know, just something's kind of off, and we're just trying to do some work together, but I, I just don't know what's happening in our marriage right now. Just something feels a little bit off. Explain a little bit more to me. more this person explains, I start thinking, this person's spouse is cheating on them. Mm-hmm. And do you say it? Because they're saying, no, oh, we're just having miscommunication. And I said, I'm going to be straight with you. And I don't want to say this. And I feel like if there's anybody else in the world, I would say this. Because it's you too. I don't want to. But I'm just going to tell you. I'm worried that right now that your spouse is running around on you. And if it's not happening, it's about to happen. And you need to keep your eyes open. This person said, you're ridiculous, Trav. Ain't no way. Ain't no way. I mean, we're, we're just struggling. But I appreciate your concern. But that's not what's happening here. Two weeks later, he said, so how do you think I need to be watching for it? I said, Well. These are the warning signs that you, when you said this, guess what? Oh, it was happening. Full blown. Full blown. It had already been happening for months. So I, I get all of a sudden in the situation um, and get way into the situation, talking with everybody involved, trying to repair a couple of families, trying to help out. At one point, someone is at my house and uh, they are so frustrated with me because I am pushing in and begging this person to go back to their family to make things right. And I say something that triggers this person, and he jumps up, and it's probably 1 o'clock in the morning at my house, and he reaches in his pocket. I thought, he's going to stab me with a knife. I just I thought, like, okay, this is where he's going at. He gets up, he's, and he pulls out, I think, a chapstick. <laughs> so, okay, good. I was like, okay, do I have to protect myself against that? He just gets so wound up. He's just sweating, the kind of stuff. He starts putting on a chapstick and, and uh, looks at me and, and just so frustrated, so frustrated, yelling at me whatever. And I, and I said to this person, you are robbing your family of who you've called to be. and you have, been, you have been called by God to stay faithful to your covenant and to love your spouse and to protect your kids and not to get involved in that family. And this thing stops you. And this person says to me, nobody's perfect. Who can do that? I'm not asking you to be perfect. I'm asking you to get out of relationship with this person. It's really simple. You text them right now and say, we're done. Nobody's perfect. I can't do that. Uh, well, why do you expect to do that? Well, Jesus said uh, throughout this that what God has put together, let no man put asunder. And he goes, and who can keep Jesus' ways perfectly? I said, well, nobody. But do you think you have a free pass to do whatever you want to do? This is where it gets unreasonable, folks. You are so committed to the sin, so committed to breaking the commandment, you will compromise every. Turn. and nobody can reason with you nobody can see things you can't listen to anyone else you start exaggerating the claims it starts upping further and further to a place of just even point of no return we start reframing the word and folks once again um, I, I'll, I'll, I'll say often there is no group in the world today that is um, saying something heretical that doesn't have a bible verse in their pocket that they use as their marching order right I mean, right now, if if you and I actually ascribe to a biblical ethic of marriage and sexuality, you are seen as a bigot, right? Old-fashioned, and you're part of the problem now, right? Okay, you're part of the problem. And what is the pushback if you say this is what God's Word says? Somebody goes, well, God's love. Okay, I can't argue with you on that one. God is love, but you know what? In the love of God, that also means that he knows what is best for us. And so sometimes he tells us what is okay and what is not acceptable. That's loving. And yet, every single person who has a cause has a Bible verse that they go on. And same thing, what does Satan do in this moment in the Garden of Eden? He takes God's word and he twists it. Twists it, right? Makes sense because what happens... You remember that time when Jesus was tempted in the garden? Okay, Jesus in, I'm sorry, he's in the wilderness being tempted by Satan. He's been fasting for 40 days and 40 nights. And I love it, it says, and he was hungry. Oh, that's good to know. Okay, he hasn't eaten for 40 days. The man is hungry. And it says, Satan comes to him, says, hey, if you want bread, you know, you can turn those rocks into bread if you'd like. Jesus says, it is written, man shall not live on bread alone. Okay, all right. Hey, hey, hey. Yeah, I know you want all these people to follow you. If you'll just bow down and worship me, we can fast-track this. And he goes, you shall not worship anyone but the Lord God Almighty. It is written. Mm. Satan goes, oh, I got one for you. Why don't you jump off this roof in front of everybody and everybody think you something special? You know why? It is written that he'll protect you and his angels will watch over you. Huh, Satan knew a Bible verse. Did you know that? Satan's quoting from Psalm chapter 91. He quotes it accurately. You know what the problem was? He takes it out of context and twists it for his own agenda. He knew the word. Just took it out. Was <laughs> Psalm 91 saying, hey, impress everybody by jumping off a ledge and bouncing off so that everybody worships. No, that wasn't the goal of it. It was saying when stuff happens to you bad, don't worry, God will protect you. He says, let's take a verse out of context, let's twist it, use it to our agenda. Folks, people do that today all the time. Take God's word. Take it out of context. Twist it. Use it their agenda. So if we reframe the word, we're guilty of it as well in our own marriages, in our own situations. And then we start repositioning the word. Uh, we're going to look at the consequences here and in, in the next couple of weeks. But um, if you go down to verse 17, what happens when God starts giving the, the consequences out to Adam and Eve for their sin, something interesting takes place here. Um, This is going to sound very controversial in 2021, but who's here to stop us anyway, okay? If we're going to be controversial, let's just keep it going, all right? This is what it says. God says to Adam, because you've listened to the voice of your wife, (laughs) there's a problem, okay, right? (laughs) I'm about to give you punishment, boy. Why? You listen to your wife. And all the women said, how dare God say that, right? But look at what he's saying here. Because you have listened to the voice of your wife and have eaten of the tree of which I commanded you, you shall not eat of it. Cursed is the ground because of you in pain, you shall eat of it all the days of your life. So you listened to her voice and you disregarded whose voice? God's. That was the deal. He repositioned the word. God didn't have a problem with Adam listening to his wife's voice, but prioritizing that voice over his was the couple's downfall. Adam listen to his voice of his wife rather than the voice of who? His God. That was the problem. And what takes place is here, I don't think that in this passage of Scripture God is telling any husband, hey, when your wife is talking, just don't listen, okay? It's always trouble, right? I know some of you are very good at that. I'm not asking you to continue, okay? Um, When she speaks, God is not saying, I can't believe you listen to her. She has nothing good to say. It's not what he's saying. You listen to her over you listen to me. And folks, that's the problem in a whole lot of marriages right now. Um, It's not that we need to stop listening to each other. It's that we need to prioritize that voice. We need to make sure we have the right place, right position. Prioritize God's word even over your spouse's wishes. You want to talk about a compromise that will endanger your marriage? You put your spouse in first position rather than God and you watch your marriage implode. You put your spouse as more important than what God says and you watch your marriage implode. Your spouse will actually benefit if they're in the second position instead of the first position. Because you know why? If they're in the first position, you will do anything to make him happy or make her happy. And sometimes you'll break commandments in it or you will just wear yourself slap out in the process. And one of the most dangerous things is is that if you were just constantly focused on how do I make him happy? How do I make her happy? And if you're breaking the rules in the midst of it, it's a completely prioritizing God's word over your spouse's wishes. So sometimes what takes place is you can be so committed to either happiness for your spouse or just the removal of drama from them, you're willing to do whatever. Go along with it. Why? Because I just, I don't, I don't want an issue, right? Um, I have talked with a couple before who said, we got in this big fight and I knew way back then, I didn't think it was wisest for us to do this. She wanted to do this, I didn't think it was wise, but I went along with it. I said, why? I just didn't want to fight that night. I said, that makes sense. So what happened? We went along with it, the thing blew up, and we got in a fight that lasted two weeks. I said, okay, well there you go. So you got a fight that can last two hours or two weeks, which one would you rather have, okay? But if you're so committed to your spouse's happiness rather than you are your marriage's holiness, you're going to continue to get in this problem. So some people are so focused on, my spouse says we need to have this and drive that and our house needs to be furnished this way. And because they're just tired of listening to it, they give into it and guess what happens? They can't save, they can't give, they can't provide for their kids' needs and what's going forward, but guess what? The house is furnished really nice. Well, congratulations, right? Sometimes there are people who just have these desires to do this. I, I don't want to. Sometimes spouses will walk into relational conflict, dishonor God, and hurt other people. Why? To protect that person's happiness in that moment. And, and and this is where this comes down to in commandments and compromises, especially as it comes into marriage, that God gave this couple first and foremost. Here's one rule: Don't eat of this tree, because when you eat of this tree, you're telling me you think you know better than me. You make your own rules, and folks. There are enough rules in here to keep us occupied, and I promise you, they are for our good. So whenever we start saying, we know better than you, God, we want to write our own script, God, we want to take from the tree whenever we want to, you are engaging yourself in a very dangerous situation that's going to make your marriage implode. And so, here's, here's once again, here's the perfect scenario. Adam and Eve, we know what God's Word says, and we're going to keep it together. And when you're weak, I'm hopefully going to be strong. And and maybe when when I'm weak, you'll you'll be strong. And we we come alongside, and there's something unique and powerful about knowing, you know what? I'm not going to give up. Why? Because I've got somebody here beside me. That's why Ecclesiastes 4 says a a cord that's kind of tied together, it's not easily torn apart, right? Two people, if someone falls down, there's someone to what? Lift them up. That's the goal of what marriage should be. Not, hey, let's get into trouble together. It's how do we stay faithful to this? So within marriage... What I would encourage every marriage is this, that the best and most healthy type of marriages are where two people love God, prioritize knowing God's word, and even applying God's word, and help each other do that. And the longer that you do that, the more healthy your marriage becomes and more fruitful. And you know this, the greatest place for my spouse is in second position. God gets the first and foremost spot, and my spouse will be thankful because of it, because I'm doing things his way. And so, for all the expectations you may have, or you may feel that you have, I'm telling you this, the best gift, the best gift you'll ever give your spouse is making sure you don't compromise on the commandments that God gives us. Let me pray for us. Father, I, I do pray that tonight, that as we think through um, what does it mean to keep the commandments that you have given us and, and not to compromise, not to listen to ways satan would cause us to doubt god's word or just completely derail it and move it away how we would exaggerate your claims or ex- explain why we, we should be able to take it god we have this desire to know what you know so we want to eat of that tree we have a desire to decide what is right and what is wrong so therefore we want to take it into our own hands we want to appease someone and avoid conflict so sometimes we will give into our spouse's wishes rather than your word. Deep down, God, your word has been given to us and it is um, inspired by you. It's profitable for teaching, for proof, for correction, for training in righteousness so that the man of God or the woman of God may be equipped adequate for every single good work. Your word is good for us. It's not a bad word, it's a good word. You want us to enjoy the life that you've given us and not have so much of it such a wreckage and so God we want to trust your word and what marriage is in this wonderful place But when one is weak the other can be strong so God I pray for the marriages represented here in our church that we would help one another stay faithful to you rather than trying to appease one another in the name of Jesus we pray amen thank you for listening to the equip podcast make sure to check out rockycreek.church for complete notes and additional resources You can also subscribe to this podcast and get weekly courses delivered to you. We hope to equip you for the work of the ministry.